Hello and welcome to The 100 Podcast. It's Ed here with you. Hope you're well. It is 10pm on Sunday evening. You'll be listening to this hopefully on Monday morning. I've just finished watching the Birmingham Phoenix versus Manchester Originals game at Edgebaston, uh, where the Originals won by 79 runs. Charlie is currently at Edgebaston interviewing some of the players, so he's unavailable but doing the Lord's work over there and reporting for loads of different outlets, which is great. Um, But I'm here to break down what that result means for the rest of the tournament. Every single men's team now has one game left and there are lots of different permutations of who can go through. There are three teams that are relevant at this point, so we'll kind of skip past them and we'll review their seasons on a later podcast. But for this podcast, at the very least, we'll go through the five teams remaining in this and work out what they need to do to qualify or not to qualify for the final three. I just got a message from Charlie, really lovely actually, of thing from Edgebass in the Moen Alley, uh, quite a while after a pretty humiliating defeat tonight. He's still signing autographs, which is pretty great. So good for Mo. Um, I think it's fair to say that he's been a great, great presence in this tournament, even if it didn't go their way tonight. And frankly, it did not go their way tonight in the slightest. This is a diabolical result for the Birmingham Phoenix. Really the last thing that they needed. The originals had to win this game to get up to eight points and stay in the competition. The Birmingham Phoenix could have put themselves in a really strong position winning tonight, getting up to 10 points, matching the Rockets and the London Spirit. They didn't. And what was even worse for them, as we'll get into in a minute, was how massively they lost this game. 79 runs. Really hurts their net run rate. Again, let's get to that in a minute. First of all, though, I thought the Manchester Originals probably put on par. I thought Phil Salt batted really nicely. I think a big part of Manchester Originals coming back has been Phil Salt coming out of his shell without Joss Butler there, really playing aggressively, but playing impactful innings. I thought he played really nicely at the top. And then I think we also kind of saw at the back end how quickly 100 innings could turn. You saw Evans, Madsen, Stubbs, Walter not really get going. Benny Howell had a fantastic spell, 18 runs, three wickets off 20 balls uh, in those middle overs. And you know you maybe thought that the originals would get 135, 140, which would have felt below par. But with 100-ball cricket, if you score some quick runs, either end of the innings, wherever in the innings, it can really turn the game. And Tom Lamanby playing his first game this season, scored 26 off 12 at the back end, 4-4s, 1-6. We know what Tom Lamanby is. He's a fantastic pace hitter across his career up to this point, striking at 177 against pace. His issue, of course, is that he can't really play spin. And that's really why he played so well um, tonight. His entry point was ideal, coming in with less than 20 deliveries to go. Uh, He came in, faced the quick bowling, faced Richardson, faced Helm, was able to get scoops out, was able to manipulate the field, hit the pace. It was exactly what you want. And with Lamanby, because he's not a great player of spin, he's not a good player of leg spin either, even as a left-hander, sometimes you feel like his role is limited by his entry point and his role within the side, which is why he hasn't been playing for the originals. When they already have stubs uh, and when they already have... Andre Russell on the side, you're not going to fit Lamanby in. The reason he's not playing over Walter, and Walter's been getting a gig, not necessarily because of the bowling, but mainly because Walter can actually play spin a little better than Lamanby. He comes in now, Dre Russell's away, is that kind of finished role? And with the ideal entry point, with the ideal role, with the ideal bowlers bowling to him, he takes advantage, sending Tom Helm, Henry Brooks for a few runs. 
So I, I thought he played really nicely. I thought that got them to about par overall. I think the Phoenix issue is they didn't really take many wickets throughout. They didn't really look like they had a wicket-taking threat. And um, Ben Dorsius theoretically should be a good um, T20 bowler, but for some reason at the moment doesn't seem to be. Howells at those wickets, but they could have just blasted through couple more wickets and got into the likes of Hartley, Clarsen, just towards that back end. It could have completely killed the momentum. Instead, you had Tom Lamanby with his perfect entry points coming in and taking the game away. And 154 for six, I thought was a par score. Uh, the Phoenix came out and I thought made a really shoddy job of it, to be frank. Tom Hartley opens up the bowling clearly because they wanted the nice matchup against Will Smead. Now, the weird thing about the Manchester Originals is they match up badly against some teams, uh, and then match up really, really well against other players, specifically. Adam Live they matched up really nicely against uh, in their recent games, because they have three part-time off-spinners in their side, usually. Um, Stubbs can bowl his off-spin, Madsen can bowl his off-spin, Ashton Turner, Sash Kornakam can bowl his off-spin. So they matched up really nicely against Adam Live. Tonight, there has been no better matchup in the history of cricket against poor old Will Smead than this attack. Four left-arm seamers in Walter Lambie, who didn't bowl, Clarsen uh, and Josh Little. Smead is a very good player, a very good player of pace bowling, not so comfortable against the left-arm angles. He had four left-arm seamers. They'd hardly turned the ball away from him, and Parkinson turned the ball away from him. And so Smead's faced the first delivery of every single game and this year for the Phoenix, I believe. They brought on Hartley to try and trouble him, and so the Phoenix got Hammond to face the first ball. He went at it, got himself out playing the reverse sweep. He thought, well, okay, he's tried to take the impetus into the game. That's fine. Try and take it away. Be aggressive against that matchup. I get it. Moe Nally hits his first delivery for four. Looks good. And then takes a wild swing. And it was a poor shot from Moe, to be frank. It's the matchup that you want him to take down, ideally, but... In that situation, when you haven't got Liam Livingston on your side, Chris Benjamin's at four. He's not made a run all tournament. Matty Way struggled. Brett D'Olivera's playing his you know, first game of the tournament. Benny Howell's at seven. Ben Dorsch's at eight. Ultimately, if they were going to win that game, Moeen really needed to take it by the scruff of the neck. He didn't. No one else really scored a run. Will Smith played fine, but then you got out against Paul Walter. Um, 31 off 17 for Smeedy. He played fine. The rest of them, no one could manage a run. The, the highest score was 13 or 15 by Benjamin. It was a complete collapse, a complete disaster. Um, Tom Hartley was the kazoo match hero, 22 runs of four wickets. I thought he was fantastic. Um, Paul Walter, 10 balls, one run, one wicket. What a king. The only thing that I really struggled with was then bringing um, Tristan Stubbs on for the final set of the power play when Smeed and Benjamin were in which I thought was a weird decision and let Will Smead get away a little bit when they have plenty of matchups to go against him with, whether that was the left-arm seam or Hartley again. But other than that, they were fantastic. And so the Phoenix subside for 75, ultimately, and lose by 79 runs. I don't really like the idea of taking games deep just for net run rate all the time. I think you should go after it and try and win. But as I'll explain now, the Phoenix have put themselves in a really tough position. We'll get onto that in a moment, but these are the big takeaways from what this result means with one game left for every single side. Now, the final remaining games are, on Monday, we'll get a big matchup between the Trent Rocket and the Welsh Fire. So that's happening there. On Tuesday, we'll get Phoenix versus Spirit, 
And on Wednesday, we'll get the Brave Earth of the Superchargers, which is kind of irrelevant, completely irrelevant for these slots. And in the final set of the tournament, the Originals versus the Invincibles. So there are five teams left in the running. The Rockets, the Spirit, the Invincibles, the Phoenix, and the Originals. And here are the big takeaways of what everything means with one game to go. We'll start with a mailbag question from Neil, who asks, very bluntly, is... Originals versus Invincibles on Wednesday, essentially a winner takes all now. Neil, you're absolutely correct. Originals versus Invincibles, Wednesday night, winner goes through, loser is done and dusted. Now, the reason that a winner will go through is because of their net run rate. Now, if you don't really know what net run rate is, it's basically the equivalent of goal difference in football. But instead of goals against goals for, it's the net run rate over the, the tournament in terms of your run rate versus your opponent's run rate in a specific game. So the Invincibles and the Originals have the two strongest net run rates in the tournament. Thanks to their win tonight, the Originals have 1.019, which is well over double the Oval Invincibles. The Oval Invincibles have one of 0.464, which is stronger than the Rockets and the Spirit. So that ultimately means that they'll get onto 10 points, the winner of that game that is. So the Originals will get onto 10 points, they would beat one of the Phoenix or the Spirit on net run rate because there is no way that the Spirit and Phoenix can both win that game. So effectively, the Spirit could put their net run rate up above the Invincibles or theoretically, the Phoenix could put their net run rate up against the Invincibles or the Originals, but both sides couldn't, basically. So that means that one of the Spirit and one of the Phoenix can't match that run rate, which means one of the originals and invincibles with 10 points would go through on that run rate. So to put it simply, on Wednesday, the winner of the originals and invincibles game will go through. In terms of the Trent Rockets and London Spirit, both sides will go through with a win. So the Trent Rockets will need to win against the Welsh Fire. Let's be honest, they're going to win against the Welsh Fire, so we can kind of ignore them. But they will go through with a win, as would the London Spirit if they beat the Birmingham Phoenix. Both sides, however, could go through with a loss in their respective games, as we'll get on to in a moment. For the Birmingham Phoenix, due to their big defeat tonight, it's very difficult. Their net run rate is minus 0.203. That is as big a difference between the originals 1.019 and the Spirit's 0.394. So there is a huge net run rate deficit here. So the Phoenix, who are on eight points compared to the Trent, Spirit, and winner of the Originals Invincibles game, who are all going to get to 10 points, the Phoenix would have to beat one of those teams on net run rate. Most likely, assuming the Trent Rockets win, they would need to beat the Spirit by a big enough margin, which would probably be a margin similar to the game tonight on Tuesday to go through. Now, that is going to be incredibly difficult for the Phoenix. They haven't really got the big wicket takers. Livingston isn't in this tournament. It's not over, but they are by far the weakest position. So they're, they're in real strife, effectively. So to go through it again, the Trent Rockets, they need to beat the Welsh Fire. Easy. Or they need to not get thrashed by the Welsh fire. That's it. Winning in, don't lose too badly. So they're pretty much safe. 
What they really want is the Phoenix to beat the London Spirit so they can get first place in the tournament. We'll get onto that in a moment. Anyway, the London Spirit are winning in. They lose really badly and they could go out. What they can't do is get hammered, basically. And then the Phoenix need to win real big. So it is possible that all five of these teams, they all have a chance to make it through. They all have a chance of not making it through. So it could get really, really spicy. If the Trent Rockets were to get thrashed by the Welsh Fire, unlikely to happen. And I mean thrashed, there is a way they could miss out. I hope that makes sense. It might not make sense. It is a little bit complicated, but to the, the very basic of this, Trent Rockets win, they're through. Spirit win, they're through. Winner of the Originals and Invincibles are through. The Phoenix are going to have to thrash the Spirit to go through. The real chaotic scenario here is it is possible for four teams to end up on 10 points. So the Phoenix beat the Spirit, they go to 10. Spirit lose, they'd stay at 10. Rockets lose to the fire, they'd stay at 10. And then one of the originals or invincibles get up to 10. There is a way, and it's not impossible, depending on the Welsh Fire to win a game, so unlikely, that after a three-game loss streak at the start of the season, the Manchester originals get the number one seed, which would be crazy. But I think ultimately... It's the Trent Rockets to lose on that front. They have a better net run rate than the London Spirit. They play the Welsh Fire. If both the Rockets and the Spirit win, they both go to 12 points. So it would be a basic fight on net run rate. The Rockets have a slight advantage now. The Spirit would have to beat the Phoenix by a margin more than the Rockets beat the Fire, and a decent margin at that. So basically, if Trent win and London Spirit lose, Trent get that first overall place. If London Spirit win and Trent lose... London Spirit get the first overall place. But if both teams lose, it's likely that the number one spot will go to either the Originals or the Invincibles. So, as I said, five teams can still qualify. Theoretically, all of them could not qualify. And four of those teams could get the number one seed, which, as we know, is really, really important in this tournament. Because if you get that number one seed, you go straight to the final and the other two teams play the playoff. Right. I think we've got there. I think we've got there. Those are the permutations for what's going to happen over the next game week. We'll have coverage on our Twitter page at Podcast 100. We will talk about this through all of the games. So check out all of our comments there. We'll have running coverage. And of course, we'll do um, some live reaction after the games as well. Before we go, though, I am going to go through some mailbag questions that you guys have submitted. Thank you so much for submitting these. It really means a lot to us just to have you guys interacting and for you guys to ask questions. I'm actually just popping onto Twitter now to grab a couple more that have come in since I started recording. So uh, we'll react to these slightly live, basically. But let's do it, shall we? We'll start off with Jules and the Manchester Originals fan accounts, who kind of have related questions here. Um, First of all, from Jules, how have Manchester Originals improved so much after a dismal start to the tournament? And for the Manchester Originals fan account, how impressed have you been with a character of a depleted original side to battle back from the brink and find a way? 
I cannot comprehend how the Manchester Originals have done this. We weren't high on them coming into this tournament. Like we really weren't high on them, me and Charlie. I thought they had a number of flaws. And I think if you've watched them through this tournament, you've seen those flaws. The seam attack is not fantastic. And they purely have right-handers generally, which is why Paul Walter got onto the lineup because they match up terribly against spin that turns away from them. Tom Alamovy came in tonight, can't play spin. So until Paul Walter came in, they had no matchup against spin turning away from the right-hander. You saw Samet Patel on a really good batting pitch when the Rockets played the originals, wheel away for 20 runs off 20 balls because there were no positive matchups there. And when you don't have those positive matchups, I thought it was going to be a struggle for them. And in the first three games, it was. They faced the Rockets, who were a good side. But but I just didn't see them coming back. And I, I, I still don't really understand how they got back. I mean, Paul Walter is one of their key bowlers. Paul Walter bowled one over in the T20 Blast for Essex this year. Paul Walter, and me and Charlie love Paul Walter. Don't get me wrong. We, we think he's fabulous. We think he's a really fun batting prospect. He has not been a good bowler for Essex in a long time. Like a long time. And I think you can tell the commentators who've watched the T3 Blast by the ones who are surprised by Walter doing well and all of these who are kind of like, wow, the big man's going to come on now and save the day. Paul Walter's not been a good bowler. He's had everything you want. He's had pace. Um, he has height. He has some variations. Theoretically, he should be a good bowler. We've just never seen it before. Now, suddenly, we are. So I, I don't really understand what it is, especially given they've just lost Josh Butler uh, and Andre Russell. But what I ultimately really think it is, is Phil Salt. I think the originals were always going to depend on their big names to score runs. When you lose Butler and you lose Russell, you need someone to stand up. Phil Salt has done that. He's averaging 49, striker over 155, uh, he's got 38 boundaries and 189 balls. He's been fantastic. I think he's made such a difference to them. And he has scored crucial runs across this tournament. Tonight he played fantastically. I thought he was a little bit conservative early in the tournament, but he's kind of turned it on now. He's been really, really good. He's led this side from the front. He's got them off to good starts that they needed. I think he's been phenomenal. Paul Walter with the ball, I guess, has been a big turning point. But also, I think, from those first few games, you've really seen a, a massive improvement in their bowling. Sean Abbott, those first three games, was horrendous. I mean, he was better in the in the, the, the last two he played, where they won, of course. But in those first three games, Sean Abbott got pummeled around the ground. Clarkson was struggling. wasn't going well for everyone else. Abbott really struggled. The bowling attack was just a mess and the batters couldn't really keep up. Now, suddenly, Josh Little, apart from one set, has been pretty decent. Tom Hartley, Matt Parkinson have come into this tournament. Paul Walters bowled well. It just seems to be working enough to work around their batting lineup. And I, I, I think that's kind of what it is. I don't think they've been great at any point, but they've certainly not been horrendous. And that's really what they needed. And that was definitely the case, for example, against the Southern Brave. Obviously, Phil Salt goes out there, scores a nice 38. Andre Russell decimates their bowling attack with 64 off 23. Then the bowlers come good in that game. Three wickets for Walter, two wickets for Parkinson, two wickets for Stubbs. It just came together. And even when Butler went and Andre Russell went... 
they still continued to find a way against the Superchargers. Alan Live got, got off to a really good start, but Paul Walter, again, dragged things back. That innings from Phil Salt in that game, that innings from Laurie Evans in that game, Stubbs played really well in the game, Walter made an impact in that game. It all just started to come together. And I've been really impressed. I still don't fully understand it. I'm not going to lie to you. But I've been impressed with how, they, how they've come back. And the fact that they could qualify as winners of the league stage of this tournament is a testament to what they've been able to do there. It's a testament to Simon Katic's culture. It's a testament, in my opinion, to Phil Salt and Laurie Evans, who've been the leaders of this side. And it's a testament of some really... Really nice players coming together and making a team balance that shouldn't work, work. A second question from Jules, moving on from the Manchester Originals. Has the loss of Glenn Maxwell affected the rhythm of the London Spirit? Now, the London Spirit got off to a great start in this tournament. Really were one of the early bolters. I think um, not everyone expected them to be the, the, the big contenders necessarily in this tournament. Um, but I think maybe a mid-table side. But they came out of the box really, really nicely. Uh, they've dropped off a little bit now, which I think is not necessarily fully due to Maxwell leaving, but kind of due to Maxwell leaving. I think the London Spirit's early wins were built on a lot of high variance. So obviously you had Maxwell and, and Karen Pollard, who played nice innings as well, when he was able to get in there. So they played well. Losing them has been big because Ben McDermott's not got going this tournament, averaging 20 in, in three innings. That's struck of 120. That's not good. And obviously Josh Inglis didn't get going the other night and that obviously means they're having to bring you know bell drummond and bapara into this bell drummond's been fine Ravi bapara has not been fine so i think that's disrupted their batting but i think also the high variance side of things has, has gone to their bowling dan lawrence has been weirdly good in this tournament but a lot of the others haven't mason crane's been expensive brad wheel when he's played has been expensive uh, john tom's taken 12 wickets in seven games but he's been expensive Chris Wood, also expensive at times. This whole attack kind of built off Jordan Thompson suddenly being magic at the death and taking wickets was always going to be high variance like Jordan Thompson. So I think it's twofold. Losing Maxwell and Pollard and that experience in that middle order is massive. And the others, you know, the replacements have not got going, whether that's Bell Drummond, McDermott, Inglis, Papara, whatever. They haven't got going. And also I think the bowling is just it's just ultimately dropping off the other side of where we'd expect them to be. It's balancing out. And, and this is the thing about the Spirit. They've had some really fun contributions. Like Dan Lawrence with the ball has been fun. Liam Dawson's bowled really nicely. I, I think Nathan Ellis has been good this tournament. Uh, and, and Adam Rossington is filling a role at the top of the order, striking at 185. It's exactly what you want. I just think without Maxwell and Pollard, they aren't a true contender necessarily for this title not to say they couldn't win it they definitely have a chance of winning it but i don't think that they are one of the best three sides in the tournament without those players which is why with i think we've seen a drop off and arguably even with those guys they aren't so yes the loss of glenn maxwell's definitely affected the rhythm of the london spirits right final mailbag question from ben he says very close standings for men's qualification uh, making it quite dramatic what do you think is better, four teams in the semi-finals or the current system rewarding the top place team? Now, if you've listened to this podcast for about a year now, or you've even looked at our Twitter bio, you'll know my answer to this question. I love semi-finals. I think semi-finals are fun. 
I want to see the best four teams in this competition play against each other. Now, I think this top three system we have this year has turned out a really fun scenario. It's been really fun, so I'm not going to complain. But in general, I don't like the idea of rewarding the top place team. Now, lots of people are going to complain and say, Ed, it's unfair. If they win all those games, sure they, they should get an advantage. Because if they won all those games, get an advantage, go straight into the final. I don't care. I've been very clear about this before. If you want to win the, the final, you want to win the trophy, just win your games. If you don't win the semi-final, you don't win the final, you don't deserve to be there. Tough. Your reward is playing the fourth best team. And I really don't care if that's not much of a reward. Just go and win it. If you want to win the title, win the games. And, and look, I understand why rewarding the team that comes top is nice. But I really enjoy semi-finals. I think teams should have to win it. I think they should have to earn it. And I get it, and I'm not completely opposed to these rewards and the top team things, but I think especially in the IPL and the Big Bash, where suddenly like half plus of the tournament gets through and you have the, uh, the contender and the eliminator and the guillotine and the revival and all of these things before you get to the finals, utter nonsense. I like the simplicity of semi-final, semi-final, final. The hundred's better in having just the eliminator in the final, but yeah. It's almost it's a similar thing to the championship at the moment. I always have this debate with my dad uh, about the Bob Willis Trophy, which is great. I enjoy the one-off match at Lords, but my point is that the Bob Willis Trophy should be the trophy. The, the, there shouldn't be separate trophies for coming top of the championship and winning the Bob Willis Trophy. If you want to win the trophy, win the final. And I I I don't care if you've been better all season. You lose the final. You should have won the final. I don't care. Sorry, unfair of me. But that's just my general viewpoint. So I do prefer semi-finals. What I will say is that I think the 100 is better and more streamlined than other tournaments in this regard. And I do understand why they want to reward the top place team. So I'm not fundamentally against it. I personally prefer semi-finals. Clearly, I'm a bit of an arse about these kind of things. and far too harsh. But I do think what this has sprung on us is very exciting because I think the possibility of seeing... The Originals versus the Spirit, the Invincibles versus the Spirit to take on the Trent Rockets is fun. The Trent Rockets have been the best team all tournament, like clearly been the best team all tournament, I think. You know, they, they might not go through as the ultimate, you know, top of the table. I say that they're going to play the Welsh Fire. Clearly, they're going to go top of the table, but they have felt like the best team. And I think it's nice to see a couple of the contenders, say the Invincibles, the Originals, the Spirit, who've gone through their different journeys, fight to then face the big boss, as it were. So I'm kind of coming around to this format a little bit, and I think it works for this year. Uh, and I'm excited to see how, how it plays out. So uh, I'm, I'm slightly happier about the system, effectively, Ben. There we are. Those are our mailbag questions. Gosh, um, thank you for all of them, and thank you for following us um, throughout uh, this tournament so far. Apparently, the 60 final is about to start, so I guess I'm going to go watch that on YouTube whilst I edit this podcast. You'll be hearing it in the morning. We'll have reactions to all of the games that I've mentioned. All the permutations are going to happen through the next few days on our Twitter page, at Podcast 100. We've got loads of great stuff as well. And Charlie just did a great interview with Sam Hain, uh, which was done pre-tournament. Really interesting listen. Uh, it's about an hour of just really good, honest conversation between Charlie and Sam. I, I thoroughly recommend giving that a listen. It's really compelling, really interesting. And look, uh, Sam hasn't had the tournament he wants. The Welsh Fire haven't had the tournament 
they'd want. But he's a quality cricketer who I think is going to make his mark on this level of cricket. Um, and, and that conversation is an absolute must listen. So go listen to that. But in the meantime, at Podcast 100 on Twitter, have a listen to more of our stuff. Keep up to date with our coverage. But for now, at 10.34 on Sunday night, thank you very much for listening to 100 Podcast. We'll speak to you next time. <laughs>